Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Whoever decided that movie was PG, they're crazy. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. It's not like they're like out running around with the bears, like, you know, Jungle Book or something. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. That is scary. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Everyone learns to love each other. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And this week we're talking about letting our kids feel unsafe in a safe way. I like this topic a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's something I think about a lot. And I feel like we've done some other episodes about like, you know, not helicoptering and like how much do we have to play and people kind of respond and they're like, yeah, I want to be like that. I get it. But how do I stop helicoptering when it feels like there's so much danger and also my neighbors are going to call CPS if they see my kids frolicking? Well, it's a good question. And there's also a difference between risks and hazards. So we're going to talk about the difference Ooh. between those. I have a feeling that's going to be important information. Yeah, because we want our kids to take risks. We don't want our kids to put themselves in hazardous conditions to hazard themselves is what I'm saying. Right. And it's very, very, very hard as a parent to know the difference between those two things. And we have a pretty cool interview today, I must say. Oh, we do, guys. <laughs> it's kind of our first celeb mm -hmm, interview, mm -hmm. I have to say, of the podcast. Uh, a little later, I am going to be speaking to Evangeline Lilly. You guys know her from Lost. You know her from the Marvel movies. She's the Wasp from Ant-Man <laughs> and the Wasp. Major cred from my 10-year-old Amy for this interview. Pretty cool. You were excited about this one. He's been like running around school being like, my mom is best friends with the Wasp from the Avengers, which is not exactly accurate reporting, but I'll take it. And she's also a mom, right? And she's an, she's also the author of a book series called The Squicker Wonkers. Yes. And so we're going to talk all about that and these topics with Evangeline in a little while. But we're going to start off with a little perspective, Amy. Okay. So we want to have kids who are... Happy taking risks, right? Who know how to do it. Yes. And who are 
comfortable with a little bit of discomfort. You always talk about this. Like, I want my kids to not always have, you know, a pillow beneath them every second of every day. We want them to know how to experience discomfort before they go off to college, basically. That seems like it would be a good idea to me. Yes. Yeah. And so and so the risk, just like we were saying a couple weeks ago, that like the whole point of making a radical change as a family is that there are some parts of it that might be hard. The point of taking risks is there might be discomfort. There might be some boo-boos. There might be some rejection um but but having kids get sort of acclimated to a wide range of uh situations and emotions is good for them right and this is the classic rallying cry of our time which is like you know when we were little we used to drink out of a rusty tin can while riding around in the open back of a pickup truck on the highway like Mm -hmm. right But a lot of people got really badly hurt and killed doing those things. And we don't (laughs) want to do that anymore. So is there a way to introduce the concept of like risk and excitement without just letting our kids like ride around with no seatbelts and be like, woohoo. I always start with like, is this a thing I need to worry about? Like, should my kids be exposed to riskier play? Yes, they should. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you were already there. I did a little research on this and I found a developmental psychologist named Dr. Mariana Brussoni. You were like, no, I don't trust Margaret. I'm going to Dr. Mariana Brussoni. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go the other way. I'm always going to see what the experts say. So she she says, first of all, to back up what you were just saying, she says what we call risky play today, it didn't have a name a generation ago because it was just play. It was just like go down to the watering hole and my father-in-law used to actually play in what was called a slag pile, like the waste product from coal mines. Yes. He used to climb it frolic. with his friends. Yes. Yeah, in the coal dust, like everybody getting like miners lung as they frolicked on a pile of black dust. Yes. That's what he played in. And that wasn't called risky play. It was just called go outside. Yeah. And there's good and bad things about that. As much as I love those stories and I love hearing those stories, I tell a story often. And in fact, I wrote an article for Free Range Kids about my mother who lived in the Bronx growing up and used to spend mischief night, which was the night before Halloween. <laughs> People don't even know the term mischief night anymore. Oldie locks alert. Back in my day. But filling a sock, they would, f- <laughs> my mother who was like a fairly dignified lady. It was like, oh yeah, you would fill up a sock, a black sock with flour And she's like, and then you would spin it around. And then the famous line is, she'd be like, like a truncheon. And I'm like, oh, of course, like a truncheon, (laughs) mother. That's what you would do. As one does. And then every, all the kids would dress in black and you would run around in the streets hitting each other with this sock full of flour. And the idea is like, if you came home and your clothes were clean, you were kind of the winner. But if you came home covered in flour, like you had been beaten by many truncheons. That was the big game on Mischief Night. The biggest Mischief Night that in my own childhood was we used to go to like a lake, like a sort of like a state park in the summer. And Labor Day would be sort of the closing day of the park. And just when it would be starting to get dark, it was just a sort of general signal that all the children understood. You brought out the cans of shaving cream that you had stolen from like your dad's medicine cabinet. And we would chase each other around, hold each other down like fill each other's like eyes and mouths and whatever with shaving cream and then like run into the lake. Which is like, by the way, not rated for childhood ingestion. 
No, like just like kill each other with shaving cream and then run into the lake to wash each, you know, wash ourselves off in the whole lake. We'd leave the whole lake with a nice sheen of like Gillette, <laughs> you know, cool air, fresh shaving cream. Not good for the lake or your mouth. All the fish from that lake now have like 10 heads. It was good times. And that was just like, that was just the way it is. So anyway, Dr. Brussoni says that the reason we have to have our, let our kids do some risks, perhaps not like hazardous to their, to their, health. But she says it's better to learn that wet pavement is slippery when you're running and not when you first get behind the wheel of a car. Ah, now that guys, I hope you listen to and Mm -hmm. take in. That's a really good way to think of it. And it's funny, I was thinking like my parents and my everyone older than us, basically, like now I feel like when they watch kids play, they're like, be careful, they're going to hurt each other. And I'm like, wait, what happened to you on the slag pile? Like, you grew up like just frolicking on a threshing machine. Like, why are you so afraid of my kids like wrestling in the backyard? Like it's it somehow it's not quite as one to one as we sometimes think of it. So somehow these messages of like I played in the slag pile and like drove my grandpa's pickup truck when I was 11. Like it doesn't seem to have done them maybe just because they're older and they've forgotten that stuff. But like, yeah, I, it's not like I see a lot of like older people being like, although great grandpa Billy Mac is always like, Stop being so ridiculous and like wants to drive his pickup truck with like my three-year-old sitting in his lap, like down city streets. And I'm like, I'm going to be ridiculous though. Like that seems like a really poor idea. (laughs) I met a guy, you know, how like people pass through your life, strangers, and like they just like drop like pearls of wisdom and like change the outcome of your life. And they totally don't even remember ever having had that conversation with that person on that day. Kind of. You kind of sound like you live in a fairy tale, but I'll accept it. I was at a playground. I mean, when you live in New York City, you spend a lot of time standing around on playgrounds while your kids play. Like you have to take them somewhere to run around and play. And there's a lot of standing around to be done. So I was, you know, I was pushing my kid on a swing and my other one's on the slide. And I just was chit-chatting with this guy next to me. And he was like, see, this is why kids need a mother and a father. And I'm like, well, why is that? And he said, you know, he was watching his kid climb up. And he's like, because the mom will say, be careful, be careful. You're going to hurt yourself up there. And the father will say, let me see how high you can climb. Mm. And I've really carried that with me. I mean, like in 2019, I'm going to say it doesn't have to be (laughs) that the woman is cautious and the man is pushing you towards risk taking. But I do carry that with me as like kids need both. Kids need the nurturer and kids need the pusher. Yeah, I think that's right. Like the and and it's something that like the gendered stuff is annoying, but like you can do that in your own head. And one of the things that used to drive me crazy on playgrounds is um all the time I had other moms like grab my kids off stuff and be like, yeah. "That's dangerous what you're doing." And I'm like, "What? Dude, leave them alone." Okay, so it's dangerous. Like what happens? Like my sister-in-law tells a story all the time about like she used to go out climbing in her backyard and there was a tree and she would get like 30 feet up in the tree. And then there was another tree that kind of connected, but there was a minute at 30 feet in the air that she had to like leave contact with both trees and like grab the other tree. And I mean, you would like if, if she'd gotten hurt, people have been like, where are her parents? They must be horrible people for letting her try to do that. But the trade-off is this incredible confidence, but it, it's kind of like, I mean, you hear people say this all the time, like if it saves one life, it's worth it. It's like, that's a terrible method of thinking really, because- the only way to keep everyone safe is like literally like bubble wrapping them and keeping them sitting at home all the time. 
Well, I think if a stroller like guillotines off a baby's finger, that stroller should be recalled now and not when like it happens to 20 more kids. But the climbing trees things is totally different because the kid is learning something from that risk. And that, you know what? That's the difference between a risk and a hazard, it occurs to me. Okay, lay it on me. This is a Dr. Brussoni thing, not me. But she says risks are situations that kids can evaluate before making their own decisions. I think I can make it over to that other tree. You know, it's a situation where you can go one way or the other and you and you play it out. And hazard is a danger that a kid cannot be expected to be aware of or to handle, which is like she says, a swing set has a rotten foundation. The sledding hill has a big tree at the bottom or there's a river with a powerful current. Those are hazards. And we should protect our children, she argues, from hazards. Don't let them sled into a tree, but let them decide if they want to, you know, go backwards down the hill on the sled or whatever. That's a risk. Yeah, that seems to me to make a lot of sense. Although, I mean, I keep thinking we have this tree, a fallen tree in our backyard and the root ball like got pulled up with the tree. And so it fell over, which is like a pit that's probably 15 feet deep. And at the bottom of the pit is like weird, like craggy branches. Like it looks like like a bear trap from like the 13th century. You know, like it's like a it's like if you fell into that pit off of the log, you would really hurt yourself. And I let my kids do it. But I think like it wouldn't be hard. I mean, the the tree's kind of mossy and stuff. It's like, should I let them do that? Like, on the one hand, it's fundamentally non-negotiably dangerous to be crawling on a mossy log over like a spiky pitch. Like, it's insane. <laughs> but at the same time, they're just, they're out playing in the woods. Like, I let them do it. But it's hard on my soul. So my kids are, are less like this. You know, they're less risk takers because because you, you guys have woods in your backyard. Yeah. My kids, you know, take a taxi across down by themselves. That's our- that's risky in its own way. It's a different kind of risk. It is. And my kids have just today, I had my, my 14 year old, he has a doctor's appointment after school. And I was like, do you want me to pick you up at school and we'll go together? Or do you want to just take a taxi there and I'll see you there? And he was like, mm, why don't you pick me up? I'm like, okay. But I have over the last year sort of been rolling out like this is something I think you can handle because it is, but you have to let them gradually do it. This is what Here's another uh, researcher, Dr. Ellen Sandseeder. She's a professor of early childhood research. And she says good risky play sort of gradually exposes kids to challenging events. And she says that it actually has been proven to reduce anxiety in adults. Like if you climbed trees as a kid, a study has shown you'll be much less likely to have a fear of heights as an adult. You're playing out these anxieties and addressing them in your, you know, developing brain. And if you don't, she says, if you don't get scary situations confronted with them as a kid, then you're going to be an adult with with anxieties or more likely to be an adult with anxieties, I should say. I mean, this is the call to this because it's not just theoretical. There's been a million studies about the basic study is that people 50 years ago would go to therapists and be like, my dad was abusive. My mom was an alcoholic. I I had a tragedy as a child. Like I'm trying to figure out this situation. And that young people now, a 20 year old now goes through a therapist and is like, I feel nervous all the time. And I don't really know what my life's about. And it is the change from like, it is a factor of not confronting enough risk and danger as a kid. And like my kids, I feel like I work on this really hard and they still don't confront a ton of danger. I just had a birthday party for my son and it was like backyard run crazy. Like it was a Harry Potter party. (laughs) We gave everybody a wooden wand. Like we made them, you know, we cut sticks into wands. 
And they were just running around. And I was like, guys, be careful. Like, I don't want someone else's kid, like, falling and, like, stabbing themselves with a wand because they're just running crazy over my uneven backyard. Then we put a zip line up. And my husband, of course, put it up. And originally, it was 15 feet off the ground. And I'm like, we can't let other people's (laughs) kids on this crazy thing. Like, speaking of the husband, like, let me see how high you can zip line. (laughs) You're insane. Exactly. Like, literally, he was like, this looks awesome. I'm like... It is literally like higher than like the first story of our house. Like, I do not (laughs) think this is a good idea. But not letting kids confront dangers has such a huge long-term downside. And I feel like I had much more of the wild childhood and I still had this thing. Like when I left home and I was living in the city, I was like, it was literally the first time that I had the thought like someone could just throw me in front of the subway train or like I could get mugged or like something bad could happen to me it was occurring to me for the first time at like 24 years old. And I ended up developing like a panic disorder from it basically mm-hmm. and had to like reinvestigate the whole nature of danger. Do you think that more risky play as a child would have helped with that? I and mean, I'm not sure it's that simple, but do you? It's not quite a one to one, but I think in a lot of ways I had a very idyllic childhood, which like I wouldn't trade for anything, but there is a flip side of an idyllic childhood, which is worth thinking about that like you're a little bit less equipped to deal with like bad things happening. I have a quote from Jennifer King Lindley. She wrote about this for Parents Magazine. And she says, if kids constantly have an adult telling them when to stop or when to go, they don't have a chance to develop an inner instinct for their own limits or confidence in their own decision making. So it's not just about feeling safe. It's about like, I know how to make decisions. I know how to assess situations. Is this is this tree safe for me to climb or not? They don't grow up confident in those things. And that was probably part of your anxiety, right? Like, will will I know how to handle the curveball that's about to be thrown at me as I walked on the street? Well, and I just literally, like, when I moved to New York City from, like, idyllic, peaceful, like, suburb with, like, loving parents who took care of me, I was just, like, a baby lamb in, like, Wolftown all of a sudden. (laughs) And I was, like, I felt my role very clearly as, like... (laughs) Baby lamb. All right, Amy, we have to take a break. We're going to come back and talk to Evangeline Lilly about her book and her thoughts on this subject. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Guys, you know today's guest, Evangeline Lilly, from her iconic portrayals of characters from Lost, The Hobbit, The Hurt Locker, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. But you may not know that she spends her downtime creating worlds of her own. She made her publishing debut in 2014 when she first introduced the Squicker Wonkers to the world. Welcome, Evangeline. Hi. So... You have a children's book, and I will say we get a ton of pitches about children's books, and we don't often do interviews about, you know, around children's book authors, but I read your books, and what really stood out to me is that they have a kind of, for lack of a better word, like a creepy kind of darkness about them that I really love. (laughs) Good. Thank you. And that's your world. That's intentional. That is very intentional, and they are. They're they're very dark, and I personally, when I was a kid, I was very drawn to dark books, and I think a lot of the reason for that was because I was a smart kid, but I was a terrible reader, and a lot of the times I found that the material that, I, that was at my reading level that I was able to read and I was able to digest was often material that was too young for me. And I felt like I was being talked down to or I was being pandered to. But anything that had a darker edge to it, there was so often a kind of wink and a nudge and an understanding between me and the author that I might be a kid, but it didn't mean I was stupid. It meant that I could, you know, they were telling me, I know you still see all the hard things that happen in life, experience them, that you understand them better than adults give you credit for, and that you're able to digest them and that you're curious about them, that you need more, you want to know about them. Whereas I think there's a trend much more today, even than when I was a kid with, you know, our children's generation to shelter kids from the difficulties of life, the hardness of life, the failures we deal with, instead of teaching them how to cope with those things. This book, to me, opens up really interesting topics that I want to talk about. One of the things we talk a lot about is, like, people want to keep their kids safe, and they want to keep their kids protected, but how do you explore dangerous, scary things with your kids without somehow like sending them into some abyss that you feel really uncomfortable in. And I think <laughs> to do that is through books. Yeah. Not that this book is terrifying in any way. I don't mean to say like it's, it's lovely and, and beautiful, but it has a certain dark, creepy edge to it that I feel like in reading it with a child, you get to have a different kind of conversation. And you said in totally. some of the materials you were talking about your grandfather reading you uh, gory stories and saying like he trusted you with the material and that really stood out to me. Like there is something about saying to your kid like 
hey, I think you can handle this story and I think we can explore strange and weird worlds together in a way that makes you feel safe, but is kind of going out a little bit on this limb that we can go out on together. Yeah. And we're going to do that together. And in doing that together, we're going to end up getting uncomfortable. And getting uncomfortable means we're going to find ourselves talking about things we've never talked about before, finding things out about each other we've never found out before, and, you know, hopefully learning things we would have otherwise not learned together because we were sheltering ourselves and being so careful about where we went. And, you know, I remember reaching the sort of age of maturity, quote unquote, and, you know, 19, 20, going off on my own into the wide world. And even as a kid who grew up in the 80s, which was a much less sheltered time, I remember this feeling of like, how am I so unprepared for this? Yep. Like, why is this hitting me in the face so hard that I have literally no idea how to cope with the broader world outside of the shelter of home? There's been a ton of studies on that subject that talk about like the sort of sheltered childhood and the outpouring from that tends to be anxiety. That you're not, you don't feel ready to face the world. And so a lot of our kind of malaise in our younger people is this anxiety around like, I feel like the goal used to be idyllic childhood, but we're now seeing the blowback from perfectly idyllic childhood is kind of like, I'm not really ready to face anything that ever goes wrong. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that I just absolutely boils my blood is the way in school and in group sports and in recreational activities with children nowadays, we're not allowed to have winners and losers. Nobody is allowed to lose or fail. And in this way, we keep everybody's feelings from being hurt and we keep everybody feeling good. But what we don't do is teach our children anything about how to deal with failures and they will fail. That will happen to them at some point in their life, and they will be so ill-equipped to know how to cope with that that it will internalize in a way that becomes festering and negative. I just don't think that children have been exposed to the darker elements of life in, like you said, in a constructive way. The only way they're exposed to them is when it's a rough slap in the face because it comes out of nowhere in an environment where they're maybe not safe or in a situation where they aren't in a, in a position to learn from it in a constructive way, they sort of crumble. Fiction has always been our way of preparing our children. Back when, you know, we were tribes people, they would tell stories of monsters in the dark jungle as a way of, A, teaching their children, please don't wander off into the wide jungle in the middle of the night or you may never come back. But B, preparing the, you know, the young boys for the time of hunt and the young girls for a time when the jaguar walks into the, you know, into the encampment. Like, so they're not emotionally completely naive to the reality that they're living in. And I don't think we tell those fireside stories anymore. Instead, we just stroke our children and sing them lullabies and say, everything's okay, everything's bubble gum and teddy bears and pretty and unicorns. But we know we're lying. It's not. We think we're doing our kids a favor by doing that. And it's great to reshape that a little bit and say like, Actually, it seems wonderful to create a magical wonderland for your child to just wander through uninterrupted through their whole childhood, but there's actually a strong downside to that. Yeah, and here's what I think. I think we need both. I think we need idyllic, beautiful, incredible, aspirational stories so that our children have something to dream towards so that when they're creating the world they're going to live in 50 years from now, they know that there's better possibilities than what we're doing because we're not doing it very well and that they can make those changes. 
I think that's why we need like superhero stories and we need we need those pixie and unicorn and troll and fairy stories that end, end perfectly and beautifully so that they have that idea that things can improve and can get better and can be beautiful and can be great. Yes. But we also need, and this is where I think there's an imbalance, we also need cautionary tales for modern day brats who just aren't aware a lot of the times, you know, and, and who are going to school and being told, if you get a bad grade, it's the teacher's fault. If you get in trouble, it's the other kid's fault. And I think we must teach our kids to look at themselves and say, you know, how can I make better choices next time? How was I responsible for my circumstances? And in doing that, we give them so much power and we give them so much ownership over their own lives. And that enables them to go out in the world bravely, confidently, and with some kind of self-assurance. You know, I think our stories tell us, well, if, if you're treated badly, those rotten bad guys will be punished. Right. And then a, a kid goes to school and they get pushed into the dirt for no reason at recess. And the teacher comes out and goes, why are you in the dirt? You're all filthy. Get in your classroom. And they're in trouble. And they can't make sense of what's happening. Like, why is this horrible thing happening to me? Because nobody's ever prepared them for injustice in the world or sort of told them in their stories and that, that this happens. And so let's talk about how we deal with this when it does happen. I'm wondering if you've talked to your marketing people about the catchphrase, cautionary tales for modern day brats. I would buy that book. <laughs> I, have, I would gift that book. I love it. You and I, we are all probably in the same vein. Like my theory about with my kids has always been the best way for them to learn that fire will burn them is for them to stick their hand in a candle flame. The right. best way for them to learn that their knives are sharp is for them to cut themselves. Like That's how they learn. And I, I very much believe in allowing children to go out in the world, experience stuff that hurts, and I just see them get so much stronger. And I, I do think protective parenting has gone too far. That's what really drew, drew me to them. Like You can really see that theme reflected. And another thing I like about the books is I like the real air of strangeness. I feel like a lot of children's books are like, these are differences and we have to respect the differences, which guys, I'm totally on board with respecting other people's differences. But the idea of encountering strangeness as a frightening concept and like having to navigate that, I don't see a lot of people talking about that concept. And I thought it was really interesting in these books. You just gave me shivers. I love that you picked up on that because it's a really subtle thing. And I've, I've put a lot of subtle things that I don't know that everyone's going to necessarily get into the book, but you are definitely getting it. And the thing that's going to happen, and I, I really believe in the journey of these stories, because I don't know if you've been told, but there are 20 of them. I have um, been told there are 20. <laughs> I've only read two, to be fair. But well, that's because there's only two right it. now. But I've, I've outlined 20. But where I'm trying to get to with what you were saying about encountering strange people, I don't want to miss that because initially, when I ask children when they've only read the pre-show, I ask them, who was the bad guys in the book? And they'll say the squizzer wonkers. And then I'll usually challenge them and, and say, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay, then who is the good guy? Selma. Oh, interesting. So Selma's the good guy and the squizzer wonkers are the bad guys. And we sort of talk about who made good choices and who made bad choices. And we realize that actually everybody made bad choices in the book. And for me, it's a way of, of talking about the fact that nobody's perfect. Nobody's a hero. Nobody's a saint. All of us are flawed. And then we go on a long 20-book journey 
where Salma becomes a Squicker Wonker. She becomes one of these strange people. And Squicker Wonkers is a protagonist. I 100% believe that by book three or four or five, if you ask a child, who are the good guys? They'd say the Squicker Wonkers because they're the protagonists. And children will go along with, adults will go along. Anyone will go along with a protagonist, no matter how weird or strange they are. And if you tell stories through the perspective of strange people and strange things, it helps, I think, for all of us to encounter strangeness and be more open to it and being more ready and willing to be curious about it instead of afraid of it. It's really counterintuitive for people, I think. The idea that, like, if you tell kids, like, strange people are to be embraced and accepted, yes, that's what you want them <laughs> to get to. I agree. But I think by just saying, like, don't ever notice differences and just skip to the part where you accept everybody, like, that's a journey. Yes. It's okay to feel frightened yes. and confused by yes. people. But what if you it's, stay on this journey with them? Do you get to know them? And does that change your point of view versus like exactly. strangeness is just something to be accepted? You can't ask kids to skip the steps in between. Well, and also I think it's dangerous to ask them to skip those steps because frankly, we have those instincts for a reason. Right. There are dangerous people in the world. And, and your kids have very good guts for that. You know, they know when they encounter somebody that's off, they know. And kids are so much better than us because they're not all often judging the book by its cover. They're judging it by their gut feeling. And, you know, there's even a moment in the book where it's Selma's waiting by the stage and the Squicker Wonkers are inviting her up at the beginning. And, and it says, though the girl was suspicious, her fear felt delicious. And so she it's jumped onto the so stage. <laughs> that's the greatest yes. in the world. But you have to feel it a lot to know that that's a great feeling and not like, I never want that to happen to me again. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think a good safe place to first, you know, experience some of those feelings is in the safety of a book, right? Absolutely. Nobody's going to get hurt. You know, everyone can like close the book and say a little prayer and go to sleep and have a nice dream. <laughs> right, right. The, the stakes are low, which is good. We want low stakes for our kids. And it's fundamentally what we're always trying to teach our kids, which is like, go try. We're waiting here. But like, yeah. you can't skip, go yeah. try. If you have a kid who loves, like Janie gets a new ponytail and learns to love again, this might not be the perfect book for that kid. <laughs> that kid who's just a little odder. I mean this in a good way. I have one. This is the perfect book for them. And I kind of hate this question because it is 2019 and we know how to buy books. But where can we find <laughs> these Wicker Walkers? As of May 28th, it will be in all good bookstores across the U.S. and Canada. It will also be okay, so um, available. All good bookstores. If you go in and yeah. you don't see it, start turning tables. Exactly. It's a bad bookstore. If, it, if you go in and it doesn't have it, that means it's not a good bookstore. It's also available on Audible and iTunes in audiobook format with full soundtrack, sound effects, and myself doing the voices for all of the characters and the narrator. <laughs> it's great. So I have listened it was, to the Audible version, and it's... For a kind of dark book, is the word lulling inappropriate? There's something very calming about it. I don't know why. I like that. It's supposed I don't mean to be. You know, one of the I mean, it's not like, I, I would think sometimes people might think an audible book of like a kind of a, I keep saying it, it's not really a scary story. It's a very imaginative, slightly dark story. But I would have maybe thought, oh, this wouldn't be a good audible because it would be scary. But it, the audible book does not feel scary. Check out the Squicker Wonkers wherever books are sold, let's just say. And um, is there anything else you want to tell us about what you're doing? Where can we get more of Angeline Lilly in our lives? 
you know, there's the squitterwongers.com and I have just finished filming a new movie that is talk about dark. I mean, it's, it's a film, a very hard hitting drama about the opioid crisis in North America right now. So it is worthwhile for parents to make themselves aware of it and kind of know what's going on because I think it, it is really relevant. But I have another children's book that I've got up my sleeve that's in a very different vein from the Squitterwongers that might be coming down the pipe. So we'll see. But That's awesome. Like there. you've already got a career, but you're like, no, I'm going to write children's books too. Just to do her. Yeah, I wrote the Squitterwongers when I was 14. Oh I've my been, God, that's amazing. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I've been doing this all my life and acting just happens, you know, it just happens. So I just love stories. I love telling stories. Awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. In a world where moms just want to cook dinner in peace, you can have screens for 15 minutes. Yes! An unseen terror takes hold. Can you please stop talking to me? I can't hear the iPad. Children who once made eye contact begrudgingly told you about their day. It's fine. Or briefly played outside before complaining they were bored. 
are gone. In their place are beings that can think of only one thing. I'm so close, I'm about to beat the evil space lord. They completely lose interest in food. I can't eat dinner. This kid on YouTube is about to open a new Lego set. They speak a language you'll never understand. I can't stop now, Mom. I have to learn Super Fire Blast, because if I don't, I'll be conquered by the Dreamins, and my level will go down to Villager. They are... The Children of the Screen. Give me a phone. Coming soon to a living room near you. I just need to finish this level. Children of the Screen is a sequel to last year's Moms of the Screen. Mom, watch me do a cartwheel. Oh, honey, I can't. I'm on a timed level of Candy Crush. Children of the Screen is not recommended for delusional new parents who believe they'll never let their children watch electronics. Okay, we're back. Uh, first of all, Evangeline Lilly is famous and extremely beautiful, but also such a nice person. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I like to see that. Her books, Squicker Wonkers, I think it's an interesting idea. Like, can you take this concept of pushing kids' boundaries and do it through reading and scary stories? And like, what she's saying about Edward Gorey is kind of this parallel. Like, are we only reading books to our kids that are like, everyone learns to love each other? versus like those Edward Gordon stories where it's like literally like everyone is being slowly picked off and killed. Mm -hmm. And I think that books are an interesting way to do this. Dr. Jim Taylor has a book called Positive Pushing, How to Raise a Successful and Happy Child. And it seems to me that his work is very germane to this discussion. He says that we have been led to believe that letting our children experience negative emotions such as anger or sadness or fear will harm them. And so, therefore, we try to do everything we can to protect our children from those feelings. But when we protect our children from their own emotions, we're actually interfering with their emotional growth. Yes. That kids have to have the emotions in order, in order to understand how to manage them effectively. Yes, absolutely. And, like, that's the thing about the scary book, too. Like, yes, it's probably easier at bedtime to read a book that's like this little piggy learn to love all his friends. But like, there is something about like actually confronting scary stuff. And realistically, most kids are going to confront scary stuff at some point. Just last night, we were talking in our house about Coraline. Have your kids watched the movie Coraline? I don't know. I don't think so. My kids loved it. Animated movie. I mean, it's a great movie, beautifully done, really high artistic integrity in this movie. My kids love it. But just last night, my 14-year-old was saying, you know, that movie, whoever decided that movie was PG, they're <laughs> oh crazy because that movie is scary. And my daughter's like, it is so scary. Will you watch it with us, mom? We're going to watch it again. And you have to watch it with us because you have to see how like really inappropriately scary this movie is. But they love it. They watch it over and over again. And uh, I thought that was really interesting that my like too cool for school teenager was like that Coraline movie that is scary. Well, it's funny because my ten year old is always like this is inappropriate for a kids movie. <laughs> this is not appropriate for me. I can't handle it. And yet I want to watch it over and over and get into my favorite movie and will you watch it with me so you can see why it's so scary. We talked about it in the interview. Like everyone knows that experience of like seeing something scary as a kid. And like what you do is you go back to it again and again. You're like, I'm going to look at it one more time and see if it's as scary as I remember. Like like the kids in Stand By Me. Yeah. Is that an oldie locks alert? <laughs> oh, Stand By Me is the ultimate oldie locks alert. <laughs> back in my day. I can't believe you said Great is movie. that an oldie locks alert. <laughs> it's beyond oldie locks. They're like 80 years old now, those boys. And they they found a dead body in the woods and they... Kept going back to look at it, right? Yeah. Thanks, Stephen King. Yeah. And I mean, I think that 
Uh, I mean, I feel like everyone understands this issue that we're talking about so clearly, but making it happen in practice is much more challenging because yes. like my husband talks with such glee about like riding around in the back of pickup trucks. And I'm like, I'm glad that was great for you. But like, come on, how easy would it be to get killed in the back of an open back pickup truck? And like, I do know someone who was involved in that accident and like it changed their life. It ruined their career. You know, like it's just sort of like. I'm not willing to take that level of risk. So that's why, like, I think the books are a good option. Like, exploring scary topics in books is great. And I was researching, there's this whole thing called Dangerous Playgrounds. There's a documentary, I think it's called The World's Most Dangerous Playground. But it's like, there, there's this whole movement towards making playgrounds more dangerous and more free play and, like, hammers and nails and, like, letting kids get involved. And, like, that's the thing. If my kids scrapes themselves. If they see blood, they act like it's the end of the world. I'm like, wait a minute. That I do know that I was constantly like scraped to doom mm-hmm. all summer mm-hmm. long. And this says a 2017 randomized control trial conducted in New Zealand found that children six through nine who participated in what the researchers called free range play were happier at school, more engaged with other children and less likely to report being bullied than kids whose playtime was more structured. Mm. We get this, but it's not so much that you have to put your kid in the back of a pickup truck. It's that free play. You guys go figure it out. You guys go explore. You decide what's risky and not risky. You go climb a tree. And I do spend a lot of time in my house. We live in, I mean, we're not in the woods. We're in the suburbs. So it's like a wooded backyard. It's not like they're like out running around with the bears, like, you know, Jungle Book or something, but they're playing outside. And I do, I wait. And sometimes I hear a scream and it's like someone's coming in to report they're hurt. But I'm like, you three go outside and figure it out. And I do think that that is key. And the flip side of this is like, whenever we talk about this, the feedback is always like, but in today's world, and it is worth repeating that every recent study by the Department of Justice tells us that it has never been safer to be a child in the United States than it is right now. So like, Mm -hmm. I understand the story of like, well, back in the day, but back in the day, it wasn't so safe. Back in the day, it was the slag pile. And today it's the playground with the bouncy floor. Back in the day, people were playing on like toxic waste piles. Like it's actually much more safe, but it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because one of the reasons we're all safe is that we're home. And so then sending them out in the street feels dangerous. So it is like, it's not quite so simple as like, it's never been more safe, but it is pretty safe. Can I give a uh, Dr. Jim Taylor positive pushing like example? Because I feel like- Please do. I want to sort of say like, okay, what should we do, right? He gives the example of your kids at the playground, they're climbing, they'll do something, he says. Most kids, they don't love discomfort. So they'll do something and to the point where it gets a little difficult or a little uncomfortable. I mean, grownups do that too, right? Like I'll, I'll do the high impact <laughs> interval training class until like I'm really out of breath and then I might need to take a sip of water and relax for a minute. No, the, the kids get to that discomfort point and then they turn to you for input. They will look at you like, do you see, do you see where I am? I'm standing on the top of the jungle gym. And he says, if you say to them, oh, that's a great job. Look how high you climbed. If you should give them an exit, they'll take it. Absolutely. Like what a great job you've done. You can stop. They will. But if they stop, they won't know what they're capable of and they won't have the satisfaction of moving outside their comfort zone. So what you want to say in that situation is something like, wow, you're doing a great job and I bet you can do even more. And if you say that, your child is more likely to face the discomfort, learn something 
have satisfaction, learn to manage their emotions, learn to manage difficult situations. Like that's the goal to, to say like, wow, great job. I bet you can do even more. That's the what to say in these situations. I mean, I agree. And I would go a step further, which is you not being there makes that whole thing a lot easier to navigate. Yeah. I mean, my kids are now 10, 9, and 7. I think I got that right. And um, I mostly try not to be around when they're playing. I try not to play with them as much because I think it it does allow them to be like, you know, go out and play. And like the chances of something bad happening are higher, but the chances of them like working stuff out, figuring stuff out, figuring what they're comfortable with. But it's already like my kids are nothing like as daring as we were when we were kids. We had woods behind our house growing up and like we would be in there all day. And I don't know. I mean, we had some good instinct. There was like a drainage thing that was like, water flowed through it. And I mean, my mom probably said like, stay away from the drainage thing when you're out playing, but we did too, you know, like we did stupid stuff, but we never, you know, we kind of figured out. Well, I guess if you leave kids to it, this is a risk and this is a hazard. They're going to, they're going to be able to figure out that line better for themselves, not only as adults, but as, as kids, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to know, yeah, that, that looks like a crazy idea. Hopefully most of the time. And they will and they won't. And the the problem is like we cannot offer anybody any guarantees that if you allow more risk in that something bad won't happen. But the risk of like keeping your kids home and never letting them try anything and never letting them explore anything. I mean, again, I, I feel like I am the national endorser of the Boy Scouts, but... Boy Scouts, they hand these kids knives. They're like, you make the fire. I mean, I just think it's great to find, if you're not great at this, find something that might be, martial arts might be good for pushing your kids in these ways. Like, you might need to outsource this if it's not something you're particularly good with. Like, it's not worth, if I'm inside, I'm like playing Candy Crush and chilling out and eating snacks. Like, I'm fine. But there might be moms who are like, I am too nervous when my kids are outside playing unsupervised. You might have to find a way to outsource this risk a little bit. Join the Boy Scouts, take up a sport. Or yeah, the risky sports. There was a yeah. there was a study done of teenagers, some of whom did what they called high stakes sports like kayaking and rock climbing, and others who did not. The ones who did the high stakes sports were less prone to vandalism, speeding, drinking, and other forms of what Dr. Sandseeder calls antisocial risk taking, the stuff you don't want them to be doing. They were less likely to do that when their appetite for risk was satisfied. And some kids have a greater appetite for risk, right? I mean, I have a daredevil child. All three of my kids are very good skiers because my husband taught them. I'm terrible. It's gotten to the point where it's like, I can't even look. Like, I'll see you guys at the bottom. I I can't, like, I can't, like, watching you guys daredevil through some slaloms. It is not. No. (laughs) I I could watch it on a phone. I can't watch it in real life. It's too scary for me. But But I know... I need to remove myself from that situation then because I don't want to tell them they can't do what they're loving. And anyway, I have one kid in particular who just flies down the mountain and it like takes years off my life to witness it, but he's good at it. And 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 he he does make it to the bottom. And and so it's not my job to tell him he should be more worried. No. And I would even say like you don't even have to engage in high risk sports, whatever that means, but like even regular sports are chock full of like these good lessons, which is like sometimes the meanest kid wins. Sometimes like mm-hmm. I feel like when we live in the world of like everyone gets a turn and like everyone gets, you know, equal time and we're all great friends, like great lessons and like we should be good people, but 
it's good to expose your kids. And I think sports is kind of an easy way to do this to like, sometimes the meanest kid wins. Sometimes the kid who cheats wins. Like sometimes bad stuff happens. Sometimes you work really hard and you still don't win. Sometimes you work really hard and you win, but like a lot of times not too, you know, and those kind of lessons, I feel like it helps you figure out adversity and what the world is really like. And the world is not really like everyone gets a trophy and everyone is equally as good and the best people win and the worst people get their comeuppance, which is another like going back to the book thing. It's like so many children's books now are kind of in that vein of like, well, everybody learns a lesson and the bad guy gets punished and the good guy. It's like life is a little stranger than that. Dr. Jim Taylor. You love Dr. Jim Taylor, Amy. Just to bring this home. I did. I, I mean, I really thought he, he's, I mean, he has a lot to say in particular about this. He explains to me really clearly, like, why does this matter again? Why do I want my kids to be throwing more rocks? Because for these reasons, self-esteem is sort of the last piece of this. We all want our kids to have good self-esteem, right? And so we've come at it from more of the point of view of like, let's bubble wrap them. Everybody gets a trophy. I'm going to protect you from from anybody who tells you that you're not good enough or you can't do or you're, you know, or the bad guys win, like you were saying. But it, the unconditional love isn't enough. He says that if your kids are going to grow up with self-esteem, they have to develop a sense of mastery over their world and confidence that they can handle it. And so we need to not protect them from adversity. We need to let them experience it, including the discomfort that comes with it, including the disappointment and the skin knees and the trips to the hand doctor. For sure. And I think my problem was leaving the suburbs and going to New York City is like I had gained mastery over a world and I was like, I am the master. And then I went to New York City and I was like, oh my God, I have gained mastery over like a postage stamp. And now I am in like the wide world and I'm, I have no mastery at at all, but it's like you adjust to new environments. Right. I guess that's, yeah, it's not bad that that happened. It's just so, and then you gained mastery over it. And now like you can like New York or not, but it doesn't like, it doesn't terrify you. You don't think I don't know how to do this. Right. There's so much to be said about this. I mean, we could do nine episodes about it. And I think it's easy to say like, we need to be raising risk takers, but it's like, right, but not my kid. Right. But not (laughs) my pickup truck. Right. But not my, but my kid's scared. Like, I think it's great to start thinking of like, where can you push the boundaries in your life? Whether that's reading scarier books, taking up a sport, joining Boy Scouts, letting them play outside for an hour a day without you. Like, can you find more places to take risks, not drop everything you're doing and let your kids play in a slag pile? Mm -hmm. I think you solved it. I think we solved it. I mean, (laughs) we get why this is wrong, but the solutions are a little bit harder to get to. A little bit trickier. Well, age, you know, ages and stages, right? I have figured out some things thanks to this that I'm going to do a little differently. Ages and stages. And we got to talk to Evangeline Lilly, which was very exciting. She's pretty cool. Yeah, that was fun. My kids are really impressed. It's a whole series. It's called The Squicker Wonkers. It helps kids of all ages face and talk about the darker sides of their own natures. Yeah, check them out, guys. I think you'll really enjoy them. And I'll tell you what, the illustrations in them are so, they're gorgeous. so beautiful. Um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. Please join our Facebook group. We're having so many interesting discussions there with you guys. We're also on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast and on Twitter at WFH podcast. And you can find all of Amy's studies and even my study that I talked about because I brought a study this week. So please go to whatfreshhellpodcast.com and check that out. And with that, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I am Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.